I'm Bryce Futch. And I'm Tony Melton. And this is The Way Forward. This is episode eight, Chinese Religious Freedom and Human Rights, part two. Uh, This is a follow-up to the previous episode. Um, We will specifically be discussing the uh, essential differences between China and America um, from a philosophical perspective, uh, religious even, and how that affects human rights and a little bit of our conversation from the previous one about intellectual property. We'll be touching a little bit more on the relationship between the, our countries and, and uh, the way that we approach those two issues. And then uh, Bryce is going to really talk a little bit more about how we respond to uh, these things as a society. Um, we talked about being shrewd in our last follow-up, um, but this is more about kind of what we do practically. Um, and then... Uh, as a society and also as individuals. So wanted to start today uh, with with a kind of a continuation of, of, a, of our previous conversation about the difference between China and America. And I feel like there needs to be an acknowledgement of this crucial difference that, that we still, um, although it's, a, it's in its dying phase, have something left of a Judeo-Christian ethic. We are enjoying the fruits of our previous faith. Uh, and China does not. Uh, they come at this, all of the issues of life, and policy, and economics, from a different starting point. And it's easy for us to just react on the issues themselves. For instance, stealing versus maintaining uh, intellectual property rights. That, that conversation, is it's easy to reside there. If we think a little bit further, we might say, oh, this is really a debate about the CCP and the U.S., taking it from a, a, an individual issue to more of a political issue. Then we might even take it into a political philosophy issue. Oh, this is really a debate between communism and democratic republic. But then we can take it back even one step further, and I think that's important, that this is really a, uh, um, a debate of, of secularism and uh, religious faith and the political systems and then the political parties and then the actual approaches to individual issues that stem from that. We must acknowledge how different the CCP is. And so I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about that. Um, Bryce, you want to have anything to add? Yeah, I think that's that? I think that's an excellent introduction. Uh, one of the things that just kind of kept ringing in the back of the mind, uh, in the back of my mind, in with our conversation, was the fact that religious freedom is antithetical to communism, mm-hmm. right? Because communism requires one hundred percent loyalty to the state, and religious freedom says you can put something else above the state. Now, we as, as Christians would say that that is Jesus Christ and God, and the Trinity, Church, all of that. But, you know, you can say the same thing if you're a Muslim, you can say the same thing if you're Hindu, which is why their persecution of Tibet is really important. That is why the persecution of Muslims in Xinjiang is really important. Um, And that's that's one of the reasons why communism, specifically China, is is focused on rooting out that religious freedom. The church has been underground in China for decades now. Uh, The Catholic Church in in China is in real trouble. Uh, The Pope pulled out on them uh, big time. Uh, just just re- just a few years ago, and sacrificed much of the church's control uh, in China, and so uh, China has has a very poor history on religious freedom and on human rights because human rights are tied directly to religious freedom, and because religious freedom is antithetical to communism. So that relates, of course, to being true. There's an acknowledgement of the players involved in the things happening around us, and there has to be a common understanding that China is truly doing evil. They need to be resisted. One of the things that just never got the outrage that I thought it should was this whole one child limit. Oh yeah. This is, that is disgusting. Mm -hmm. The the fact that a government could limit a family. Right. I have four children. The government ever told me that I couldn't have the number, you know, more than one child or right. any limit to my, my own family, sure. I would have gone berserk. Right. And a big problem with that policy is that it encouraged sex-selective abortions, right? So totally. 
it because their culture values male heirs. Right. And so it couples would wait until they had a boy. And sometimes that would be three or four children later. Right. Like it's it was a horrific policy. Right. They 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 limit how people can worship. Um, there's an entire underground movement, thankfully, uh, that shouldn't need to be the case though. Mm-hmm. They 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 do limit how people worship and what they can say. They enslave people based on religion and ethnicity. They overtake other lands like Taiwan mm-hmm. um, and Hong Kong for their own benefit. Uh, they openly steal intellectual property. Uh, now, we are not a perfect nation by any means. <laughs> we, commit, um, we, you know, we commit mass murder daily mm-hmm. of the unborn for one example. Right. And, and we should repent of that and of all the things that made that insanity possible. But it is essential that we develop a clear understanding of the evil perpetuated by the CCP so that we are not ruled by our love of convenience or wealth. Mm-hmm. This is the only way that the CCP will change their ways is if we become uh, angry, mm-hmm. uh, resistant to their evils. And it is also the only way that we will not end up just like them. Right. Because God knows we are well on our way to losing this central aspect of our education. This has always been the bad experience with Woodrow Wilson, mm-hmm. FDR. We, right. We've had our own skirts with, you know, the, uh, the devolution into a secular society. Right. I think that's the interesting thing, too, about religious freedom, specifically in China. China has done a great job of copying the United States in, economically, right? So they... They have said pure communism doesn't work. It it led to horrible conditions within China. So they started opening up and they started allowing some free markets and some new business and stuff like that to come in. But they've only copied us economically. They have not copied us socially. And I think that they they there's kind of one of two things at the end of that road. One is either they're going to find that this materialistic culture they've created is just as antithetical to communism into the into the 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 end goals of communism as religious freedom is right or and they're going to go down that road and it, it's it's going to just continue to devolve and and they will lose control of their government or something else that i think we should talk more about too is the church will continue to grow in china missionaries will continue to prosper in china uh, and christianity will I, we think christianity specifically but also religion in general will grow and will then be, again, antithetical to communism and, and kind of push the regime out that way. So there's there's really no way out long term for a communist country because it only it's especially if they're opening it up like they are. And I think Russia, the, the USSR, saw this a lot in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nixon was was really for all of his faults with Watergate and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, he did some amazing international relations work that people often gloss over, opening our relationship with China, moving things forward with, with Russia. Mm. And uh, Chuck Colson tells a story about how when he got sent to Russia with, with, for Nixon, uh, specifically to, to work on the release of some, of some Russian Jews from a concentration camp, that the Russians continue to say this is not, a, this is not an American concern. This is not uh, about American rights or values. And Colson just continued to, to fight back with the fact that these are not specifically American concerns. These are universal human rights and human concerns. Uh, and that argument went out with the Russians. And I think the, the Chinese have seen that history. They know uh, how Russia fell apart, how the USSR fell apart. Uh, and I think they're trying to avoid a lot of those things as much as they can. So I don't see them, I don't see them changing direction when it comes to persecution of, of minorities anytime soon. And I think it's because they, they're looking at Russia as an example uh, and seeing how that did not work for them. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it's, it, in a sense, it's comforting what you just said about how communism w- will eventually collapse and, and has. It has to. It, and it's because it does not accord with reality. Right. That it denies very basic tenets of human nature. Mm-hmm. Like no one, uh, fathers do not, uh, will, will, will not allow a government to tell them that they cannot father mm-hmm. for long. Right. Uh, that won't last. Right. And we're, we're seeing that right now, right? Yeah. So the consequences of that one child policy is there's not enough people in China. So you, right. you have this massive amount of single men, 
which is why prostitution is through the roof. Sex crimes are through the roof. Uh, they, there's their society and their culture is feeling that pain right now. Yeah. So they'll, they'll notice the, the, the dissolution of their society, the, the disintegration of their society, but they will also continue to have uprising. Mm-hmm. No human, uh, uh, group w- will ever allow their religious freedom to be taken away for long. Right. Uh, there's something uh, uh, essential to the human uh, that they they will act right for their nature. Mm-hmm. They cannot be made into a slave forever. Right. They cannot be made into a machine or a worker mm-hmm. merely like right. the communist system. They will always act right and and revolt uh, as they ought. Sure. And so uh, the, the system cannot stand. Right. Um, but there is a societal and an individual response that we need to have uh, now. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things I would love to hear you talk about, Bryce, um, is, you know, what are the ways that we respond to China? Mm-hmm. Um, what are ways uh, that, that we can hope for a short a shorter change that doesn't merely rely on them, their people uprising, mm-hmm. which they will, uh, or them coming to their senses, right? Which they might, sure, or they might not, or they might not, right? They're like, what can we do? Sure, I think it's a, I think that a bigger picture on this is why are we acting, right? Mm. Are we acting for change, or are we acting because it's the right thing to do, right? So we've talked in a couple of these episodes, we've talked about the idea of, of uh, boycotting, right? And boycotts generally do not work by themselves as an economic deterrent. But the question is, why do we boycott and when do we boycott, right? So specifically here in Georgia, we've, we've talked a lot recently about the boycott of, of Coca-Cola for making some political statements that a lot of people that think like us disagree with. Uh, but for me, that is not a good reason to deny myself a Coke, right? Like they're an, they're a they're a business, they're a private business. They can do what they what they want. That's part of operating here in the United States. They pay taxes. They have access to those rights. Uh, they can make whatever statement they want. They can believe whatever they want. But to me, at the end of the day, they still produce a better product than Pepsi. And I am going to drink Coca Cola over Pepsi any day of the week because uh, I think Pepsi is terrible. But if you look at somebody like China who is producing helping produce goods with slave labor, to me, that is a reason to act, right? If I buy an iPhone and Apple has slave labor in its supply chain in China, that is enough of a deterrent for me to take personal responsibility and say, I am not going to bow to the technological uh, addiction that I have to a certain operating system. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to give into that uh, because I know that somebody on the other end is being mistreated. And to me, that's that's where a boycott is about personal responsibility, not necessarily the the end goal of of economic deterrence. And so, it, this goes back to that the, the conversation we've had multiple times of why do we do things? Do we do things for the end goal, or do we do things for the process? The process matters, and it's about me taking personal action and personal responsibility. And so, anytime that I can find, uh, Peter mentioned that list, and I will I will do our best to, to link to it on our website. Peter talked about that list of of products and producers like Nike and Apple that 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 have been shown to have slave labor in their supply chain. We should not buy those because it's the wrong thing to do for us, right? Yeah, and I think that that that's an important piece of this conversation, and really it, it, it's the it's the trump card for this type of conversation. We, you mm-hmm. know, if, if there's an issue of conscience, right, for a Christian. That, that is the end of the sure. conversation in a lot of ways. Right. Like we, we do what our conscience dictates. Right. Um, and so, yeah, if we learn that there are unjust dehumanizing right. practices that uh, basically uh, fund our conveniences, sure. we should not be party to injustice. Right. Um, but, but not everyone has the um, sharpness of conscience. Right. And so... Uh, while we uh, long for us to be united as a people mm-hmm. of conscience, it also helps to have, um, let's just say, an apologetic sure. for uh, activism right. um, that, that, that pursues just ends. Sure. So w- would love to have that conversation. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things there. So one, one of my favorite uh, stories from Chuck Colson is when he talked about uh, conscience, right? And the fact that we've lost this, 
this common virtue in society because we have become more and more secular. It's all about you do you and relativism. Exactly. And we've lost that sense of objective truth. And so when we tell somebody, when we give the old Jiminy Cricket advice of let your conscience be your guide, that's the worst advice we could give to anybody. Like that's how you create a little authoritarian dictator is by telling them let their conscience be their guide. And so we don't have... C.S. Lewis talks about this as well in in Men Without Chess, which is an essay in Abolished Man, right? And so he says we've we've mocked honor and we are surprised to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and we bid the guildings be fruitful. And so we've 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 gotten rid of that objectivity and that underlying sense of morality. And now we're surprised when a country uses force uses slave labor to produce a good in the 21st century, right? And so, so that's part of it. The other part of it is, uh, I'll take a second and regain my train of thought. Ms. Colson. And there was a Stone Street quote that I wanted to throw in there. I was just reading That's the only Stone Street quote. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, so Colson talks about your conscience, but then... Man, I did, I'm going to stop this for a second. All right, so Colson talks about conscience. Stone Street mentioned it, uh, uh, he kind of alluded to it at the end of that last episode. But he talks about the theology of getting fired, right? And so what is it that our employers are going to force us to do that goes against our conscience as, as Christians enough for us to, to quit our job, right, or to get fired? Uh, specifically, he talks about it within the transgender movement and in, in, in things like that. And going off Rodriguez's book, Live Not By Lies, which comes from Solzhenitsyn's essay about Live Not By Lies. But we need to get better at creating theologies for things in our world, right? So it's Christianity is not just about showing up at church, taking communion, living the good life. It's about understanding how does God's word direct us to live in day to day. And so not only should we have a, a, a theology about getting fired, we should have a theology about activism as well and, and a myriad of other things. And, and the use of our, of our money. Right. To buy right. things. Right. Totally. The, the use of our, uh, uh, you know, what we eat. Right. Um, and I think Christianity is, specifically in the West, is oftentimes given a bad rap for being too easy, too comfortable. But it can be, right? It really can be easy and comfortable when we ignore things that we know, right? And so if we are, if, uh, I think it was, it was William Wilberforce who said, after giving a presentation to parliament about the slave trade, he said, you can vote for this abolition of slavery, you can vote against it, but you can never again say that you didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. And so as we talk about the things that China does that are, that are horrific, we now have a level of responsibility. And, and that's where having that personal accountability to say, okay, I know I'm, I'm basically repeating myself at this point, but I'm going to give up that luxury, whether that's my iPhone or my yes. or my Nike sneakers, because it's a it's a big deal. Yeah, I think the larger theme here is that the church and uh, and our country has lost its ethic. Right. We are no longer an ethical people. Right. In the early church, you read the writings of the fathers; they were so focused on ethics. Right. They were very focused on. Um, the preaching of the gospel and the articulation mm-hmm. of dogma and, and, and doctrine. Right. But, but they talked about ethics a lot. How do you, as a human being in a society, act justly and rightly right. in a way that blesses your neighbors, that represents Christ? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what it, there's probably a confluence of factors. Some of it's just this hyper focus on salvation sure. to the exclusion of ethics. Right. We, and some of it is that the, that the liberals within the church uh, have been so fixated on uh, social action. Right. Ironically in oftentimes a really unethical way. Sure. Uh, but that's a different conversation. Right. But that does not mean that faithful people and American citizens should not be absolutely stringent right. on ethics. And I think we should give a quick caveat here too, because we are talking a lot about scripture. We're talking about yeah. Christianity, the church. We as Christians specifically draw to that, right? But there, through objective truth, there is a myriad of evidence and logic to show that Christianity is not just good for the Christian, it is good for the world, good for the unbeliever. We mentioned Tom Holland in a previous episode in his in his talk about 
how Christianity brought human rights to the table. Jordan Peterson talks a lot about that as well. There are a number of people that are not born-again believers who have been able to recognize and say Christianity is good for everyone. And that isn't, and again, we're not advocating a a literal translation of the Old Testament and application into law and a theocracy. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is taking these biblical principles, applying them to daily life is good for everybody. Yeah, whether you're a Christian or not listening to this, I think the overall argument here is that we should have an ethical approach to China. Right. And to our own decisions. That's what we're appealing to. If you agree that stealing is wrong, right. then um, at least for the purposes of our next part to our discussion, right. uh, we're, we're on the same page. Right. In, object, um, in an ethical sense, in the ethical in the sense of objective truth exists in matters, right? We can disagree on what obje- what is objectively true, but we can disagree on the fact that objective truth either exists or it doesn't. Yeah, I, and, and I do think that, you know, when we're having political discussions, which which we're about ready to jump into, um, there is still a, an echo in all humans that, okay, murder is wrong. Right. Um, uh, most people, no matter where they're coming from, can look at, can look at what's happening in China and say, oh, the government shouldn't have the authority to boss around mothers and fathers like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people should have the ability to worship how they how they choose. Right. Um, so the, we're, this isn't far fetched here. It's not. I think I think that we the the reason why this is an important conversation is because most people do not have this perspective of China, and so they don't they aren't ethically outraged and they don't choose to make ethical decisions. But I also think they don't think that ethical activism makes any difference. Right. So to your point earlier, Christians, no matter if it doesn't, no matter if it makes a difference or not, we act ethically. Right. You know, and we actually believe that it has a redemptive quality. The, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Right. You know, martyrdom does not make sense in the moment. Right. In the long run, it does because sure. God is in control. But, but still, activism might seem small. Right. But I would love to have a conversation about how that actually can and has in the past made a difference. Yeah. So like not buying uh, a product because it's party to injustice mm-hmm. might seem like a super small action. Right. But how do you see, Bryce, how do you see that playing a difference, making a difference in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things? Like how does that, how do those actions topple? Yeah. So I think activism historically and John talked about this, is always rooted with other things, right? So whenever you boycott something, it's always in addition to something else. However, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it starts with a boycott, right? So I think if we as citizens in the U.S. said we're going to stop using these goods in China, locally it can make a big difference because it can make a difference with how our cities and how our states interact with the Chinese government. Um Georgia is actually home to a, a Chinese embassy uh, or a Chinese consulate. And so the way we work within our state is important. Um, I think one of the things that can make a difference is if we are saying, take iPhones, for example, if we said, okay, I'm not going to buy another iPhone because it's, it's produced in China. Well, then we have to look around and say, okay, what other phone producers use Chinese forced labor in their supply chains? The, is, is this a common problem that they all have? Because it's not it's not feasible to not use a cell phone, right? But it would be feasible to say, okay, there are no there there is anybody else, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my iPhone, but I'm going to start to talk about it and talk about how the fact that I hate that this is part of what I have to use every single day, and congressmen are within a a unique or, or a unique entity. Because they are at the federal level, but they, they, they are supposed to represent you locally. And so if you can start putting pressure on your congressman to, to make statements about this, to draft bills about this, to actually take some action federally, I think we can see some change there, right? So congressional offices, one of the things that they look at for engagement is not necessarily email, but more so letters and phone calls, right? So a lot of times when people try to lobby their congressman, some group will be doing it and they'll send out a, an email and say, copy and paste this email and send it to your congressman or your state representative or your state senator. Well, eventually, if the office is just continuing to get more and more of these copy and pasted emails, they're not going to trust it. They're not going to trust that anybody took any time, actually cares. They just copied and pasted and sent it and it doesn't hold any real weight. But if you write a physical letter, you write a unique email, you call your congressman's office, 
it doesn't take a whole lot of that for people to, to say, okay, this is actually a thing because they, they judge it based off of percentages, right? So they, they, they'll equate a phone call to a certain percentage of voters because not everybody's going to pick up the phone and call, but people, but so, so many people will per so many other people that are actually interested in the topic, right? So I think it starts with figuring out where is your personal line based off your personal ethics and then sticking to it, whether it's easy or hard or not. Uh, and maybe you look at your line and say, okay, this is where my line is, but where should it be, right? Should it be further back? Should it be further ahead? Is this a reasonable position to take? Yeah. Uh, but it does, it does coincide with other things. And I, I wrote a blog post on this a while ago, but I think Americans in particular struggle with activism in the sense that they, they, they'll write a post on Facebook or they'll send out a tweet but that's it. It stops there. They don't actually start taking action by getting involved in volunteering, raising awareness is, is part of that conversation, is a part of that process, but it's not the only thing that we need to be doing. We need to actually get in and, and, and get our hands dirty some way, whatever fits us and, and what we have time for and what we can do. Right. Yeah. I, I, it's a, another element of this is that activism, it, and I'm not a particularly, uh, I, I am not uh, personally big on activism. I, I, there's not been many causes that I've really become passionate about. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'm a priest, a church player. Sure. You know, I, I, I guess I have, there's a lot of activism. I, I, in I have a lot of things to <laughs> yeah. focus on. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, cell phones, you know, the iPhone has never been something that's been like, that's what I'm going to do sure. about right now. However, one of the things that comes to mind is it, it's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm perpetually amazed at um, the speed at which things happen in sure. our society. Um, you know, uh, you know, the Me Too movement, for mm-hmm. instance, right. that, that it, it, it would just exploded mm-hmm. and it has had a, a myriad of effects. Yeah. Uh, it certainly has made people more aware mm-hmm. of, um, systems of oppression. Sure. Uh, with regard to, uh, sexual manipulation. Right. Especially in the workplace. Right. And in the church. Yeah. Um, it, that started, to, it was a, it was a little, a little thing. Yeah. And then it, it just, because of social media, because right. of the, the connectedness within our world, small things can become big things quickly. Mm-hmm. That sometimes is not great. It's not. And but, but on certain things, right. it's an enormous amount of power for yeah. change. And that's not, again, that's not always a bad thing. It's not. It, I think I, I like that you brought up the Me Too movement specifically because it was kind of born out of Hollywood, mm-hmm. right? And I think a lot of people are, are often wary about things that come out of out of Hollywood. I think uh, Ashton Kutcher has done some excellent work lobbying Congress on a number of different causes, and people will often write him off and say, "Well, he's a he's an actor. He has no no business." He was an underwear model. Yeah, <laughs> he has no business talking about any of these things, and that's not true. Like, they're, just because you're from Hollywood doesn't mean you're an idiot. I mean, it, it tends to lean that direction, but it doesn't mean it doesn't take away your right to speak out. But specifically on the Me Too movement piece. One of the things that I thought was was incredibly frustrating was you had uh, Kevin Spacey get black blacklisted for his interactions with uh, with members of, of both genders that he's worked with. And that same year that they kicked him off of finishing House of Cards and, and stopped all of his different contracts, they awarded an Academy Award to a movie called Call Me By Your Name, which was about a uh, an adult male. Uh, basically recruiting and seducing a underaged male, which is exactly what they just blacklisted Kevin Spacey for. And it's, it's just, it's so incredibly frustrating because to me, like that's the, that's where the breakdown happens. Right. So you say, this is important to me. And then you go out and either reward the exact same behavior or glorification of that exact same behavior. um, And you don't actually put your, you don't put your money where your mouth is. Well, it just goes to show that to, when we say that it's Im- essential that both the church and our country pursue an ethical life right, and ethical decisions and eth- ethical stances on things, mm-hmm. uh, the reason why that's not more common is because it's extremely difficult it is. to right. be consistently yep. ethical. Right. Um, and so um, we're not saying that this is easy. Sure. It will require... Uh, repentance and yep. inconvenience right for us to take a stand on uh on intellectual property sure. or on um uh slave labor right or on um uh you know 
human rights abuses with the Uyghur Muslims, sure. it is going to cost us things because it's going to uh, it's going to have a domino effect right. on things in our society. Sure. Uh, that are that are amiss, right. that are unjust, that are unrighteous, and so uh, and yet this is this is the way for us to have a direct impact. Yes, on on issues that we find um, troubling in our world. Right. Uh, I, I want to get to societal response, sure, because I think that's really important. But there is one more aspect to this individual response, mm-hmm. and that is uh, where do we draw lines in the sand? You, yep. you mentioned, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like what Coke has been saying about their product sure. either. Uh, but you mentioned that that's not necessarily a line in the sand for you. You mentioned right. that uh, there's other lines. Sure. To, I want to talk a little bit more about that. What do you see are as this is where Americans, yeah. uh, as, as a, let's just say, <laughs> oh, I can't stand saying this because of our <laughs> own evils that we do, uh, as an ethical people. Yeah. Uh, where do we draw the lines? Sure. What are legitimate for our whole country mm-hmm. to unite around and say, this is where we do not go? Right. So I think that's a, first off, that's an incredibly difficult question to answer. <laughs> um, because I think what companies say and how they say it does influence popular opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why I can totally just understand somebody else saying, I'm not going to drink Coke because I think what they're saying sure. is objectively false. Right. And, and you should not lie. And you should not. So for the sun, lying. Yeah. Or saying things that don't accord with reality, right, is a line in the sand. Sure, yeah. but for me, uh, it's not, and and maybe, but maybe it should be, right? And I think the that's, taste is. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, I, I just, I cannot like a life without Coca Cola is just a sad existence. Uh, but I think it's a, I think so. Back up a step with with the Coke issue specifically. There's a. There's a, a problem in our society where we do not have time for people who disagree with us. And we immediately write them off and we immediately shoot back with whatever they're saying. And we, we don't have time for conversation, right? We, the, the old adage is the two things you don't talk about in public are politics and, and, and religion. And that's totally opposite of the way our country was founded. It's totally opposite of the way our country has been described in the past. Alexei Tocqueville, when he came through, uh, talked about the fact that these were the conversations that held communities together. And now they're the conversations that split communities apart. And so we need to have, to- we need to be more tolerant if to use the, the, the keyword today, but that has to go both ways, right? Right now, people that generally champion tolerance only champion tolerance if it agrees with what they are saying, uh, which is the exact opposite of what they're talking about. So I think, being able to have a conversation with somebody about the things we disagree with is important. And, but when it comes to figuring out what are lines in the sand, I do think that, that, that is majority, that is primarily a personal decision. However, when it comes to the government, the government is there to promote the good of the society, right? And so people who are in government making these decisions should be looking at what's going on and saying, is this making society better or worse? And if it makes society better, then that's the direction they need to go. And if it's making it worse, then that's the direction they need to avoid. And so specifically with China, we can disagree on if what's a better system of politics, capitalism, or communism. We can have that discussion. What we can't disagree on is the fact that it is right to enslave people to make a cheaper product. Uh, that is objectively false, objectively untrue, regardless of where we are. And when we're in, in a quick conversation about objective truth, object, for, for people who haven't uh, talked about it or understand the difference between objective and subjective, Subjective is things that we can disagree on and does not impact the way those things interact with reality. So Sean McDowell gives a, a great analogy about ice cream, right? And so subjective truth is your favorite flavor of ice cream can be vanilla. My favorite can be chocolate. But there's no that doesn't change the way that ice cream interacts with the world around us, right? right. But, it, but if we said ice cream fixes diabetes, then that is an objectively false statement because it's about the way ice cream interacts with reality. It doesn't matter if you like it. doesn't matter if you hate it. It does not treat diabetes, Right. So when we talk about things that are objectively true, objectively false, it is objectively false, regardless of your, your the culture you come from, regardless of the ethic with which you were raised. Slavery is is wrong because it takes someone's human dignity away. And we would say that human dignity comes from being made in the image of God. Uh, but somebody who isn't a Christian could say that human dignity comes from being human, from being different from everything else. Like John talked about last time with T.S. Eliot, and was it for um, 
I think that's why our problems today are primarily anthropological because we don't understand who we are. I I think that's that's it, it is brilliant to to bring up before we draw ethical lines in the sand to bring up the the uh, the impetus and and the, and the common uh, problem of drawing. Uh, lines in the sand on things that ought not to have lines right. drawn, which then degrades the the usefulness exactly. of all the other lines, right? right. And, and, and goodness, anyone who's been alive in the last two years yeah. um, has has uh, has felt, I'm sure, the uh, the proliferation of lines. Sure. And, oh yeah. Um, and and, it, and it, it drowns out the lines that really need to be drawn. Right. I mean, for instance, um, you know, there are well to to bring it back to the point. The Uyghur Muslims mm-hmm. are being enslaved, right. killed, their organs Tortured. harvested, yep. um, and, and being employed to make products that we buy. Right. Um, that is a serious evil mm-hmm. in our world. We should be outraged. 100%. We should act on that. Yep. But um, there are there a are hundred other lines in the sand that are being drawn for us right. on a daily basis. You know, yeah. uh, Starbucks has uh, non-Christmas cups. <laughs> right. You know, oh, oh, my goodness. You know, so, yes. And, and so and we've comes, lost it, the ability to actually make ethical statements that right. matter, that ought to result in action, mm-hmm. because we are so in love with drawing lines. Right. And that comes back to the, the whole idea of amusing ourselves to death, right? And we have this 24-hour news cycle, and we have a, a social media that relies on people interacting with your posts. And so the more co- – Matt Gates, Matt Gates talked about this in the HBO series The Swamp. The, the more you can create controversy, right. the, the more popular you become. And popularity is equated with success and with financial success especially. And so we have – there is outside of a – Outside of a, a Judeo-Christian worldview, there is or a common law, common grace understanding of, of society, there is no reason to not be a firebrand, right? There is no right. Re, there is no reason to not create more controversy. Right. Yeah, we we ought to be as Christians t- two things: lovers of peace, yep, and extremely ethical. Yes, and in when we see injustice. Uh, if we are extremely ethical, we will be outraged. Right. We will at times we will even be aggressive. Sure. Uh, those t- and and that is uh, not the time for peace. Mm-hmm. But if we are never peaceful, right? If we are always outraged, which is why you right. listen to the news. <laughs> no. Should, yeah. uh, cleanse yourself from right. from the from the from the firebrand. Sure. Of of social media, um, then we lose our ability to feel. Um, outraged, right? Um, whenever something does happen, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I think that comes down to intentionality, right? Mm-hmm. So, especially with the news, it's really easy to leave it on all day, but like actually look at what you're watching and say, is this news or is this someone telling me their opinion? And it's hard to find people that aren't telling you your opinion these days. And it, and like news used to be a requirement of the federal government to give. TV networks, the airwaves, right? So the federal government said, we will let you use the airwaves, but you have to take one hour a day to give people the news as a public service, right? Which is why Walter Cronkite was the most trusted man in America, because he sat there and told you what happened. He didn't sit there and tell you what to think about it. He didn't call people names. He reported on events. And we've we've lost that. There is no reporting. Everybody is a journalist, right? Mm -hmm. And so the two guys that I think do this really well are Brett Baer on Fox News and Shepard Smith. I think he's on MSNBC now. Brett Baer leans center right. Shep Smith leans center left. And if you watch, like for me, those are the two guys that I watch. And I generally try and watch both of their shows Mm -hmm. a day, two hours of news. I feel like that's reasonable, especially since this is the world in which I'm fairly active. Mm -hmm. But it gives me a fairly honest opinion of what's going on in the world. And sometimes they'll cover the same story from a little bit different angle. And that helps me understand, okay, how am I seeing this? How are other people seeing this? And how can I communicate more clearly, right? I don't watch shows that lead off with, with calling people ridiculous names, like, because it, it does nothing to help me be a better person. Right. It's, it, there's an interesting uh, application here. Uh, I, I don't know if I should go down this path, but it, it, it honestly reminds me of, of, of something like pornography. Sure. Like, uh, we are constantly being... 
uh, firebranded, outraged. And yeah. so whenever the time comes for us to actually act, right. we can't, when we see real oppression, right. we can't arouse ourselves sure. to, to, to actually make a difference. Right. And it just, it, you know, the proliferation of pornography and the, the huge problem of ED, I, maybe this is a, a little bit too, <laughs> yeah. uh, too, too personal, but there is a relationship here that yeah. we are, uh, we are focusing on the wrong things, right? We are spoiling our human ability to mm -hmm. act for justice, right? Because we are, uh, distracting ourselves, right. um, working ourselves up for no reason about things that should be able to be talked about right. in peace. But to bring us back, there are lines, yes. and you've said it before, they, they are with regard to human rights. Right. Um, those are the things we, uh, maybe there's more, but I know for sure right. that if it regards a human right, right. Um, then, then, then we act. Right. And so what do you see as the main things with regards to China mm -hmm. that necessitate an ethical response sure. because of their abuse of human rights? I think first off, the most recent examples, uh, I'll, so we, we had a, a big long conversation about Uyghur Muslims. And, and I think to me, that is the primary cause of action. Secondary to that, I would say their, uh, their seizure of Hong Kong, right? So, they, because communism views individuals as an economic entity, they move into these countries not as liberators. Like so, I think I, without being reduced to somebody who compares everything to Nazi Germany, right? But this is what Hitler did in the Sudetenland. He said, "We need more space to live. We need these people are are ethical are, are ethnically German. They're ethnic Germans. They want to be back here. Well, let's annex them back into the fold and reunite our country." which that sounds logical, that sounds reasonable. But then you come down the line to Poland, who these people are not German. They have no desire to be a part of Germany. That's the way Hong, Hong Kong is not the Sudetenland. Hong Kong is Poland, right? Mm -hmm. So Hong Kong were, were people who were technically ethnically Chinese, but who said, we don't want any part of this communist system. We don't want any part of this cultural system. We don't want any part of these things. We are a free, prosperous people, and we want to stay that way. And China said, absolutely not. We cannot tolerate that. And we need their economic production. We need the the prosperity that is Hong Kong, right? Mm -hmm. So Taiwan is next on that list, right? So Taiwan, for, for, for those of you who don't know, Taiwan came out uh, through the the Republic of China with, with Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong. So Mao was, was the communist, Chiang Kai-shek was, was the pro-Western uh, democratic leader. And they were, Mao was, was, was fighting Chiang Kai-shek and force them off the mainland of China into, into Taiwan. And so that's where they moved to. And so that's why Taiwan is still, still considers themselves Chinese, but they would consider themselves the true Chinese. And, and they would consider that China is, is not. Uh, and that China is a, is a, uh, a false nation, basically. An Ill, a a uh, illegitimate nation was what I was trying to say. So, Taiwan has always kind of been this thorn in China's side because they have been what China should be, which is this democratic republic uh, that has a prosperous government, that has a prosperous economy. Uh, and so China, again, wants to reclaim that. And again, they're going after that whole Sudetenland mindset of these people are actually Chinese, they belong to us, one, one nation, two states, like all of that kind of stuff. But, they're, but Taiwan is just continuing to say no. Like, that's not who we are. We're not about it. And so anytime that we see China moving to continue to oppress those in Hong Kong, because right now there's still kind of like this gray area as far as the way the laws apply and all of that kind of stuff. So as they continue to put pressure on, on, on Hong Kong uh, to conform to China's normal standard, we should be pushing back. Right. Anytime we see them threaten Taiwan, we should be pushing back uh, because authoritarians do what authoritarians do, which is oppress. And so... If if China moves on Taiwan, this will be a, a, a this would be a, a conversation for a future episode. Uh, actually, it should be our next episode, I believe. But the military options are, are limited because China is a is a nuclear state, right? And so there is a deterrence factor there, um, which was a whole another big conversation about deterrence and what does that how does that work? So I would say anytime we continue to see oppression increase in China, we should act and push back stronger. Yeah, so you know, there's 
that that's obviously so the takeover of other lands for the sake of of, of personal gain is, is a line right. that we as Americans should draw. Um, the the uh, the oppression, enslavement, murder, uh, uh, surveillance and surveillance, yes, control of, of Uyghur Muslims. Is, is and Chinese citizens as a whole, right? Like we right. we talked about the fact that that yeah, your loyalty is is, cur- right. is currency, right? Like which right. is an insane right. idea. The limiting of of, of uh, the the choice of mothers and fathers right. for children, the uh, the the limiting of religious freedom, right? Within the within uh, within all religions, sure, specifically the church. Uh, these are all things that mean something, right? These are actual acts of oppression. Yes, and and America. And the church mm-hmm. have a, a it should be an automatic response. Right. Th- these are unacceptable. Right. There's drastic action. Yep. Um, and and then when there is not drastic action, mm-hmm. we are party to injustice. Right. And one of the things you talked about, I think we talked about it in discussion of how we were going to talk about these. I don't think we'd, we've actually recorded these thoughts yet. But one of the things that you brought up that I thought was excellent in the under the idea of, uh, under the idea of shrewdness in action is when Chinese businessmen come to the United States for economic investment but have ulterior motives. So a great example of that is is in Texas. Texas's their power grid is not a part of the national grid, mm-hmm. uh, which people in Texas some of them will complain about because they they have rolling blackouts and there are issues with that and there are problems to it. However, it does keep them more secure from cyber attacks, et cetera. Uh, and so a Chinese businessman moved to Texas. Purchased a large piece of land is is putting uh, solar panels on that land and then attaching those solar panels, bringing them into Texas's grid, which now uh, gives the Chinese state a direct access to the Texas grid. Huawei and their development of five G technology, right? They are one of the world's leaders in five G technology because they stole a lot of it to begin with, and they were pursuing uh, they were pursuing contracts in the United States. The government has said that that's that, that that they're out that they're not going to participate because Huawei is so closely tied to the CCRP to the state to their to their security apparatus. Uh, the EU unfortunately is not making that same decision, and so they they are continuing to allow Huawei into those countries to to do their five G. But when we look at the surveillance state that China has created within itself and the oppression that that surveillance state has created, we have to be wary of of of, sure. of companies like Huawei. Etc. Who are coming in and saying, "Hey, we'll we'll provide this technological service for you," uh, but in reality, it's a front. Like TikTok, right? TikTok is this app. It, if you don't know TikTok Day, TikTok is you're probably over the age of fifty, and that's okay. I wish I didn't know what it was, but it's it's an app with uh, really short music videos. They're like thirty seconds, and they're not all music videos. But anyway, it's an entertainment piece for kids. Uh, that is, and unfortunately, adolescence now ranges from like what. 10 to 35, 40, yeah, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But uh, TikTok is, is, has direct ties to the Communist Party. And the, the communists are collecting data on people who use TikTok. And so they know where, if you use TikTok, they know where you live. They know what you look like. They have all of these different pieces that they can take from the background images of the type of car you drive, the type of house you live in, all of this kind of stuff, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, but it leads to, like, anytime a authoritarian regime collects more information, it leads to greater oppression, right? Mm-hmm. They're not just collecting it to collect it. They're not collecting it because they're good people and they want to index it. They're collecting it because they want to use it as leverage. Right. Sorry, I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but no, I think no, it was important. No, it's good. I, I, I think that, you know, when we talk about concrete actions, um, it, it's important. And I mentioned earlier that there needs to be uh, uh, extreme action, and I do believe that. Right, and I think it needs to be consistent action. It needs mm-hmm. to be one that's governed by ethics. Right. However, there also needs to be a caveat. You mentioned earlier that we we live in a nuclear age. Right. Um, uh, when I say drastic action, I need to make clear what I mean. <laughs> right. Um, it, one of the things that that one of the members of the previous conversation mentioned is that, that there really needs to be um, a lot of work put into naming individual bad actors. Yes. Because when we respond to China. Um, we need to remember that uh, the CCP does not represent the entirety of the country. Right. That, well, just as a Christian, that there's an, an enormous underground sure. church. They don't agree with the CCP. Right. And so, um, you know, sanctions, for instance, sure. uh, broad countrywide sanctions uh, often uh, put a bad taste in the mouth of, of people that we could call friends. Sure. 
uh, and this regard, th th this has to do with individuals too. Right. We we have a duty in our exercise of our ethical action mm -hmm. to make sure that the consequence, the effect of our actions, right, hit the issues and mm -hmm. the actors that we intend. Right. Um, there's no. Uh, we don't send over blanket missiles. Sure. In our activism. Right. I'm using that metaphor. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, but but we need to be strategic. We need to be informed. Yeah. And this, of course, just comes down to rice awareness. Right. We have to be able to care right. about these things enough to be focused, informed, mm -hmm. consistent, and precise. Right. Um, and I don't know. Maybe we're not capable of that. <laughs> I think I think we are. I think it just it it takes time. It takes work. Yeah. Right. So there's two types of of economic deterrence that we can use with with China. One is tariffs, and a tariff is just a general tax on the import or export of goods from or to a specific a specific country. The problem with tariffs, though, is that if we raise tariffs on China, China will raise tariffs on us, and so it hurts U.S. farmers who send soybeans, pigs, etc., to China. Um, so, but sanctions, on the other hand, can be very tailored to specific people, uh, specific families, specific companies. And sanctions basically are are like a tariff, but they're they're not a tax. They they restrict the way a person or an entity interacts with the United States. So, a place where sanctions has worked really well so far is Iran. Um, we we have had a, a number of different sanctions against leaders in Iran, against companies in Iran, against companies who do business with with Iran. Uh, and so, I, I do think uh, increased sanctions is the way to go with China specifically. Uh, the issue there, though, is that politicians are concerned that if we increase sanctions in, in China, that they will either increase tariffs on U.S. imports or they will start looking for other companies and other businesses to do business with. Uh, I would say that that short-term loss in income is worth the long-term gain of increased influence over the way they treat their people. Uh, it's, it, it is a – it is – it's not something that's easy. It's not something that's, that's very clear, but it is something that, that can be walked through right. if you take the time to do the homework. It is worth it for its own sake. Right. One of the other things, though, that I think needs to be said is that I think Americans are really discovering the market for righteousness and yes. justice. And I say that, that usually those two things do not come together. Sure. But, um, you know, I would just uh, when, when a company takes ha, takes a stand Mm -hmm. on a matter of justice. Right. Um, people recognize that mm -hmm. and they support it. They do. There is a tremendous market for uh, things that are inconvenient. Right. Uh, and if you build a brand around these ethical decisions, mm -hmm. um, well, I think what people are finding is that um, th th that's support. People support that. Right. Uh, we as a country can have that as our brand. Mm hmm. I think that historically America has had that as a brand. Sure. There's value in that. We are strong people. Mm -hmm. We can make ethical decisions even when it hurts. Right. And we are blessed by that, not only by God, mm -hmm. but also by other nations. Right. And also by the respect that we have for each other mm -hmm. when we make those ethical decisions that hurt. Right. So, yes, to your point, short term. Yeah, we cut off some things with China. Mm -hmm. um, we have hard sanctions. We, we take a, an active approach to the injustices that they themselves are doing. Right. It'll hurt. And we will be blessed. Right. I agree. So another aspect, we've been talking what, what I think can, can be described as a stick, you know, mm -hmm. sanctions, boycotts, right. uh, decisions that, that basically hurt China. Mm -hmm. And as we just mentioned, ourselves in some way in the short term. But there's also a carrot aspect to this. That, that, well, not to just limit it to the secular perspective. There's also the hope of transformation, right? Which, um, as a priest, I focus on in particular. Sure. But just from a political perspective, the the role of diplomacy and of persuasion, right? You mentioned that Colson went over to Russia and mm -hmm. talked to these people and said, tried to appeal to these things. Acting justly does actually create a society that flourishes. Right. What are your thoughts on sending, uh, even as we send sanctions, mm -hmm. sending our best people who have the respect of China, if that's possible, yeah. um, to, to, to talk to them about how acting in the ways that we believe are good for their own sake are actually beneficial to a society 
Right. So I think uh, so. Pillsbury talks a lot about this in the hundred year marathon in the in the sense that we lack people who under, have a even just on the on the level of language who have a deep enough understanding of of Mandarin and the the way the language functions and works that because of that lack, it puts us at a disadvantage, right? So, so we, we don't pick up on the nuance that the Chinese are offering in those conversations. However, the idea of the carrot is not a bad idea. We, I think what we talked about earlier as far as being shrewd in the way we, we look at things, we have to be very shrewd in the way we do it. Uh, to me, the carrot has to follow the stick, right? I don't think just starting off with trying to increase relationship with China is, is beneficial. I think that's something that will be very easily perverted. However, I think if we start hard and then move in the direction of, hey, we will let up some of this pressure, but here's here's our list of demands, basically, mm-hmm. um, and, and having those conversations, I do think the point of of sending our best, most persuasive is is crucial because it's a if anything, it's 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 showing them where their system can go, right? So we talked about the fact that communism in and of itself will, especially will a Chinese fail. right, especially a Chinese version of communism will fail. It will either descend into materialism. Or it will descend into poverty, uh, which I, I would think those two actually go together. Uh, but either way, they are the enemy of, of, of communism. So if we say, okay, you're taking what you think is the best of the American system and applying it within the communist framework that you have, if we came back and said, really, you're missing the point, right? The reason why these things have worked so well for us is because we've, for, for generations, we had this common understanding of virtue, right? We, we were a virtuous society as a whole. Uh, doesn't mean we didn't have people that were unvirtuous. We had plenty. Uh, but I think, so coming back to them and saying, hey, listen, if you really want to make a difference, don't just copy us economically, copy the, copy the virtue uh, that we bring to the table as well. And then to the point of transformation, while I don't think the government should be involved in sending a missionary to a country, I do think it is the government's responsibility to keep those doors open, right? And to, and to, and to, re, re, uh, to remove any of those hindrances, at least on our part, that would be there. Uh, because again, historically we can see, and people who are not Christians have attested to the fact that Christianity is good for society, right? And in and, and, uh, the Old Testament, Israel is, is, uh, is told to seek the good of the city. Right? right, and that's what we do as Christians. We Absolutely. we 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 seek the good of the city, uh, and so I think that's kind of the way those two things go together. And and I think it'd be easy to underestimate the impact that that um, these things can have. I, I just uh, watched a movie. I don't know if it's historically accurate, but it was about how General MacArthur met with the uh, the Emperor of Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, and spoke to him man to man. Right. And uh, had a huge difference upon the future of Japan and how sure. they related to the West, how they related to their own military. Mm-hmm. Um, these types of conversations can happen and, uh, and they have great effect. Right. And we, we don't uh, just need to punish. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't cost a whole lot. And there's not a tremendous amount of risk for us to continue to send type of people that our country has over to have reasonable conversations with the Chinese Mm -hmm. uh, and appeal to them saying uh, in in more eloquent words, communism sucks. (laughs) It will fail. Right. It has failed. Mm -hmm. It it might work in the short term. Right. But it won't. Mm -hmm. The only way to have a flourishing society is to uh, is is to acknowledge what is true about humans, right? And these things, and these things, and these things are wrong, but they're also ineffective, right? And those types of conversations have tremendous value. I think that's where we give our carrot. In some sense, a, a friendship would be too much, but a dialogue, right? Um, those types of dialogues can only happen um, when there's a an investment, right? I think the, the the establishment and continual uh, growth of back-channel conversations right. is important. So back-channel is just a, a phrase that, that means unofficial. Generally, it's between people that are in the diplomatic corps that know each other. Um, we had good good uh, outcomes from, from using back-channels in Russia uh, and the USSR. And so uh, I think just as the, the, the Chinese are looking for these moments of intuition of when to take advantage of different situations and, and move their 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 goals forward, we too need to be looking for those those opportunities, right? And I think 
one of the biggest issues facing China right now is the fact that President Xi sees himself as a renewed Mao figure. I think John talked about that in this last episode. But the idea that he's getting ready to move on to an unprecedented uh, number of terms as, as president, and he he really does see himself, I think, based off what he said and the way people treat him, he sees himself as the new Mao of China. And so I think that strongman mentality will will hinder him from making these changes. However, uh, and I'm not advocating for regime change, but however, there will be a time where, where his rule comes to an end. And I think what the United States does in those moments will be crucial to the future of China. Yeah, I think this has been a, a good conversation. A lot of, there's a lot of different directions to view our role as humans with regards to the injustice uh, that we see in China their violations of human rights. Um, there, you have to think about this uh, not only from a societal um, perspective, but an individual, mm -hmm. an ethical, a philosophical, but also with regards to punishment right. versus incentive, you know, stick versus carrot. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I think we... I think we attempted to hit it from all those perspectives. <laughs> yes. So yeah, we'd love to know what you think. Uh, if you think we're on track, if you think we're all wet, please let us know. Go to our check out our website, thewayforwardpodcast.com, and uh, on there is our contact info. We'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to talk to you with you again soon. I'm Bryce Futch. And I'm Tony Melton, and you've been listening to the Way Forward. <laughs>